Hello and welcome to the 42nd episode of Mega 10 Marathon. I'm Paul M. Davis and uh, who is joining me? I'm Alex Dorado Wolf. And I'm Elisa James. And we are back to uh, talk about the summer months of Persona 3. Um, if you just recently subscribed, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to the previous episode which uh, we kind of set up the introduction to the game and talked about a lot of the mechanics. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking a whole lot of story and character development, um, and probably not a whole lot about the mechanics, because, uh, yeah, we, we went into a lot of depth in the uh, previous episode about that. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we start out in uh, June, and uh, we've uh, freed uh, Fuka from uh, Tartarus. And uh, so she joins our team, sees, um, and she moves into the dorm. Her whole kind of personality, as far as we know so far, and I think through most of the game, is that she's just kind of like shy and nice. Um, she takes over Mitsuru's job of being a radar person uh, <laughs> because her persona is basically a giant radar dish, which uh, looks awesome. And um, this allows Mitsuru to join your party in the dungeon, which is also awesome because Mitsuru kicks ass. Uh, she uses a one-handed sword uh, because she's a fencer and uh, ice magic because, uh, yeah, she's uh, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> she is a um, big fan of Mitsuru. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, me too. Um so uh i don't know about you guys but uh whenever i uh play these games i kind of like it like makes me not really think from like a high school perspective but i'm just kind of like man i would not have liked you when i was in high school i would have been like oh man you know class president like whatever but uh <laughs> you know with the benefit of time like i can see that you're like a total badass so she has yeah, a motorcycle a that's how you know Exactly. Again, throwing the teenagers <laughs> into the fact that she's cool. <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's also just like pretty kick-ass like person to have on your uh, have your party in general. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, Itsuki, uh, your teacher, has basically deduced that uh, since big super shadows have attacked on the last three moons, it's probably going to be a thing every lunar month. And uh, he explains that there are 12 classes of shadow and uh, the big guys that we've faced so far are from uh, categories one through four. He doesn't really like outright say it, but uh, the categories are based on the major arcana of the tarot. And we're left to wonder who came up with this classification system and why they're attacking in the ascending order. Um, as far as we know at this point, it's basically following like, you know, Evangelion, uh, angels logic where it's just kind of like well these are the angels and they're attacking in a predetermined order that we can't understand so yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah <laughs> so our protagonist gets another nighttime visit from the stripy clothes ghosty boy <laughs> <laughs> he he says he is curious about you and wants to be your friend also that his name is pharos you have unlocked the death social link which progresses automatically about once a month when Pharos decides to pay you a visit. 
over the course of the next several months, he will pop in every once in a while to say something cryptic. These scenes exist to remind you that there's something larger than what you immediately understand going on and to hint towards the more abstract themes of the game. They also remind you that there's a weird ghost boy who is, for some reason, growing pretty more and more attached to you. And I'm going to admit, I was actually getting more attached to him too. Like, I thought in a weird, creepy way, he was kind of adorable, so... (laughs) I'm totally with you. I was like, yeah, yeah, this guy, yeah, Pharos is my boy. Yeah, like at first you think like, oh man, he really hits all the creepy child, like evil person tropes. And then you're like, well, actually, no, he's kind of nice. Like, yeah. no, I mean, and he likes you, you know, it, it would be rude not to like him. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, so it's around this time that uh, protagonist runs into Junpei and Yukari hanging out with a sad kid named Ken at the local shrine. They explain that they've been chatting with him on and off because he's so sad. He'll come up again later, but for now, there's a 12-year-old that the other people on your team know. Uh, Speaking (laughs) of characters who become important later, um, the gang also meets and becomes attached to a pleasant Shiba Inu dog named Koromaru. The dog used to belong to the priest who tended to the shrine, but then the priest died. The dog, however, still remains there, presumably out of loyalty to his departed master. Uh, this is likely a reference to uh, Hachiko, a famously loyal Akita dog who waited a tr- at a train station in Japan for his dead master for a long time and is generally well known. Uh, interestingly, there have been dogs who basically the same story is true of all over the world, um, including like uh, Greyfriars Bobby in Scotland. Uh, I think there's one named Fido from Italy. And it's basically the same story. Um, like there's a whole Wikipedia page that's just a list of like 20 or so famous, famously loyal dogs who like waited for dead masters. Um, yeah, it's a it's a something that people really seem to gravitate towards. Um, I know. I just love that. And they all have statues too. Like yeah, uh, build cool. statues of these dogs. You gotta send me that link and I'll put it in the show notes, Alex. Oh yeah. I mean, I can just pull that up during the next segment. This is just under the Wikipedia heading of good boys. Uh, <laughs> it's something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, like you know, I'm I'm generally a cat person, but Koromaru is a is very much a good boy. Oh, absolutely! What my my favorite character? <laughs> yeah. uh, here we go. It is list of dogs, um, faithful after master's death. <laughs> I love that. That's so specific. Like I love I it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I'm sorry. It's a subcategory on the Wikipedia page of list of individual dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Now I gotta see if there's a wiki listing for a uh, list of cats. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, there is. There is. <laughs> oh. Famous in own right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm gonna bookmark this for later. Um, <laughs> so yeah, one light, uh, one night later in the month, we get a uh, short scene of some poor dweeb wi- uh, remaining awake in the dark hour and freaking out. He's approached by a shirtless guy with Jesus vibes, a nerd, and a uh, girl dressed in gothic Lolita fashion. And um, those, if you're not familiar, gothic Lolita is this kind of like ornate Victorian-inspired Victor- uh, clothing st- style, which uh, sounds like very like vaguely pedophilic, but um, isn't really. I feel like this was definitely kind of like a bigger thing in the uh, aughts or whatever we call them nowadays. The yeah, it was. Um, when I was a, a 
teenager, I had a girlfriend who was really into it, and it's a whole subculture thing. Yeah. Um, it's too much to get into here, but it's if you're interested, look it up. It, it's very interesting and has a lot of implications that you wouldn't necessarily expect with regard to both um, kind of... Um, there's a childlike aspect to it, but then there's also a rebellious aspect going on. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of a childlike rebelliousness um, explored, explored through Victorian fashion that um, it, it's very interesting. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Complicated. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Um, we'll, uh, we'll add a link to uh, that as well in the show notes. Um just making myself notes here. Um, uh, yeah. And I'm glad they kind of like, uh, kind of develop her character later on because I definitely like when I was like in high school and like soon after I had a, like a soft spot for, um, women like that. So like, I was like, Oh, cool. Like, um, <laughs> this, uh, it, it was just kind of a cool inclusion. Um, so yeah, they uh, they explain that they've been hired because someone has a grudge against this guy, and then they uh, shoot him. And they uh, we'll learn later that this group is called the Strega, which is Italian for witch. Um, which will maybe just use that in the future because that's a little easier uh, as far as a reference point. Uh, basically, they're persona users who get paid to kill people through a spooky urban legends website. And they commit these crimes during the dark hour with no fear of getting caught. Uh, Persona 3 kind of drops this idea really quickly, but it's pretty clear antecedent to the Phantom Thieves and the uh, Urban Legend website in Persona 5. Okay. So if you remember Shinjiro, uh, the angry guy who can be inferred to have left seats prior to the events of the game, so Akihiko wants him to join again, but of course he doesn't want to. Of course, over the course of the uh, next couple months, we learn that he, Akihiko, and Akihiko's little sister Miki, who is now dead, grew up at the same orphanage and were very close. So let's see. So uh, then we go on to the next to uh, the full moon on uh, July seventh uh, this month. The um, the the, the new the, the shadow, uh, the major shadow has been attacking couples. So unsurprisingly, this month's big boy is at a love hotel, <laughs> which, if you're not aware, is a kind of hotel in Japan where people go to have sex. Not that those don't exist in other places, but they're more of a normal thing in Japan, and it's more of like an actual hotel that's solely devoted to that versus you know like the whole stereotype of like a, a gross like you know creepy like cheesy motel like mm-hmm. these things are full on like they'll have different they'll have different themes uh that you could choose from with the bedrooms the bedrooms will be outfit of like alcohol and like you know all sorts of like toys and lube and like it's just it's it's <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> So it's it's very interesting, and usually they're located in like in or near the like red uh, red light district areas, you know, of course. So, um, and they're the reason why they're more uh, normal is because people often don't have a private place to get intimate at home, you know, because like in many parts of the world, it's pretty common for 
multiple generations, a family to live together. And then, of course, depending on your area, you're dealing with small uh, spaces in terms of apartments or houses. So there you go. Um, <laughs> after Also, also uh, speaking only from watching like anime and uh, <laughs> playing uh, <laughs> video games, like rice paper doors are a big thing. I don't know if they actually are. <laughs> <laughs> they probably aren't in real life, you know, seeing that it's a developed country, but uh <laughs> I would say just like more in the very, if you're like a more traditional place, like really traditional, like hotels or kind of buildings, like they'll have those, you know, but most modern doors, even if they're sliding, they'll just be like regular door material. So, or, you know, so that, that's how that'll work. So, um, after defeating one big shadow, it turns out there's a second shadow, which pulls some weird, nonsense magic and tries to make our party members get sexy with each other so <laughs> uh we get a sexy anime shower scene with yukari for no reason uh but then luckily you know the main character is not disgusting so he snaps out of it and then snaps yukari out of it and then uh you reunite with the other team who almost had sexy times themselves <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, yep, so, of course, everyone had to regain their senses before anything actually happened. And then they defeat the shadow. Uh, I don't really remember. I know the shadow was, like, two parts, right? Wasn't there, like, a, it was, like, a, 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 it was like a couple kind of theme, sort of. And they had, like, opposing weaknesses and strengths, if yeah, I remember. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really frustrating. Yeah, exactly. Because you had to, you couldn't use like uh, uh, attacks that you know targeted uh, uh, all enemies. You had to be really precise on who you were attacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't spam anything. Exactly. Okay. Um, so then we get on to July. Now, in the month of July, uh, a lot of the game's backstory is explained, and the way it's explained is kind of broken up over two weeks of game events, just to. So just to be uh, good at summarizing, <laughs> that's how you say that, all right? Uh, just to be good at summarizing, uh, I'm just going to go over the backstory here right now, and then we'll um, talk about how it's revealed later, because revealing it bit by bit the way it is in the game is way more confusing than necessary. Essentially what happened is that um, back um, about 14 years prior, Mitsuru's grandfather wanted to harness the power of the shadows and create a machine that predicts the future so he can prevent bad things from happening. Um, What the shadows were in the first place, not something that we get into super much um, until very end of the game. So just accept that there are shadows and you can collect them to make a machine that can predict the future. Um, Because that's, yeah. Just accept that. Um, so uh, he uh, like uh, his company, the Kurijo Group, brought, bought like Port Island so that they could, which is where the game takes place, so they could have like a place to do their experiments in secrecy. Uh, they decide to do the experiments at the high school uh, for some reason, but then something goes wrong and there's an explosion that splits this big blob of shadows that they had grown together into the twelve big boy shadows that we've been fighting and creates the dark hour and turns the school into uh, Tartarus during the dark hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Yukari's dad was also part of the team that had done this um, 
experiment and was blamed for the disaster um, after he and everyone else involved was killed. Um, also, the um, explosion probably led to the death of the protagonist's parents um, 10 years ago. And also the orphanage fire that killed Akiko's sister Miki was 10 years ago. I don't think it's directly right. stated that this was because, but it probably was. And thematically, it just makes too much sense for it not to be. So we're just going to go with that. Yeah. Um, so the team learns the basics of this story um, right after the last full moon when Yukari confronts Mitsuru about like not telling the team like the entire reasons why they're out here hunting shadows. Um, Mitsuru apologizes and Itsuke points out that no one here is really responsible for what happened since the people who did make the explosion happen all died. Um, but that since, uh, you know, your persona user is you kind of have a responsibility to, to help. He also suggests that perhaps when the 12 uh, big boy shadows have been defeated, the dark hour and Tartarus will go away and everything will be nice again. Um, his logic for believing this is not clear, um, but everyone just accepts it. So just go with that for a while, okay? <laughs> um, so yeah, now it's uh, summer vacation. And um, yeah, Itsuki suggests team, uh, Itsuki suggests that the team take a trip to uh, Yakashima because Matsuru's dad will be there. Um, it seems to be only half because he's the only surviving person who was involved with the shadow experiment and half because, yay, it's a fun vacation. And, uh, persona games always have to have this part. <laughs> um, <laughs> shame is a real Island and, um, it sounds incredibly beautiful from, uh, you know, descriptions. Um, it's, uh, forest apparently inspired the forest in, uh, princess Mononoke. Um, so upon uh, arrival, Mitsuru talks to her dad, who's uh, this kind of like badass looking uh, eye patch guy. Um, he's basically like, uh, hey, why did you tell them all this stuff earlier? Teamwork's important. Chill with the secrecy. Get your persona over here, uh, friends over here so I can talk to them already, which uh, is kind of refreshing. You know, he's not necessarily like, oh, well, you know, you got some of the backstory. I'm going to tell more of it to you in 30 hours of game time. Um, yeah, he's refreshingly helpful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you, you would expect, you know, the old businessman guy to be like, well, the agenda here is complicated. We must play the cards close to our chess. Or a game of chess is one in the mind. <laughs> and he's and really just the way that, like, you know, plotting in, like, modern, like, series go, you know, you know, like TV shows and games, you know, it's like, oh, man, they're going to hold on to some of this till the end. Um but they're not because there's more explosive shit to come. Um, but yeah, he fills in the backstory a bit more. And uh, then he uh, plays a video of Yukari's dad from shortly before his death. Uh, Yukari's dad is basically talking about how the whole thing is a crazy idea and that he's uh, responsible for what happened. Uh, Yukari's pretty broken about, uh, bro uh, is pretty broken up about this. Uh, she believed that her father was blameless and uh, Mitsuru and her, and her father still think their family's responsible for creating the situation and that uh, scapegoating Yukari's dad was wrong. Um, basically, uh, your protagonist and Yukari have a really nice emotional talk on the beach. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like, that little scene there with how Yukari and um, Mitsuru handle uh, their family's kind of responsibilities in this task, I think is really well handled and just some nice character work that um, 
builds towards um, some of the game's themes because they're both in a position where um, they're taking responsibility for kind of the sins of the father. Um, but in Mitsuru's case, um, she exists in a position of power uh, with a, you know, her rich family and this responsibility kind of being thrust upon her. And um, her strength is manifested through the way she kind of shoulders that burden. Uh, on the other hand, Yukari uh, basically suffered because her father was blamed for this big disaster. And she and her mom had to move around a lot because people kept finding out and, you know, it not looking good. Um, and she instead finds strength in taking on this responsibility for righting her father's wrong. So it becomes kind of a source of strength for her while we see the kind of opposite manifestation of that in Mitsuru. And the game doesn't show, do this in a really overbearing way. Um, it's just kind of a nice, quiet parallel developed here. And um, yeah, I just think it's, it's really nice. And we see something similar with a lot of the other characters and how they deal with... Um, making amends and being and being wronged by other people and you know finding strength through that and so it's you know just good character work that i quite like yeah i totally i totally agree yeah yeah that's why i kind of really like um yukari and mitsu's relationship it's like nicely complex and it's really mm -hmm. interesting to see like how they both kind of work their own character dynamics through like these past events that they both didn't have like any control of and they were victims of. Cause the other problem with Mitsuru too is um she was also she was also a victim in her own right, even though she does have that power because she was experimented on. It's how she awoke into her own power. So um and then of course Yukari was of course the victim because how having the loss of her dad, how that affected her and her mom. And not only did it cause them to have to move around, but it also caused a huge strain in their relationship. So that was a lot of damage in that that didn't exist before. So it was, yeah, so I just, and I really like how they were slowly working to kind of resolve that tension between them. And I, that was really interesting to me. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so I definitely agree. I really like that dynamic a lot. Yeah, there's like a lot. There's it's like an example of like some really nice like character work that, um, yeah, feels like really genuine to the characters and actually like really feels like it's like, you know, saying something that is kind of nice because it like falls outside of like some of the like kind of like tropey BS that you get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like even though these characters do have backstories, like couldn't save his sister in an orphanage fire, the way it's dealt with. Um, is always it feels like it's coming from um, a pleasantly genuine and non-exploitative place. Yeah, totally. totally. Exactly. Yeah. So let's see. So after this, you know, because the fifty percent, uh, we already done fifty percent of this trip, which was the sad backstory stuff, and now we get the other fifty percent, which is vacation. So uh, the team has summer fun on the island, which we won't really summarize. Uh, but there is a garbage transphobic scene, big oof, that's left that's best forgotten about. But it's only worth mentioning just in case you thought P3 didn't pull this as well, which they did. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> um, then the boys, I know. They'll get it right on the next one. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard. 
It's not. <laughs> then, the, then the boys see a sexy android and decide to hit on her. Some escapades happen and they run into uh, Itsuki, who explains that her name is Igis. And she's a mechanical maiden. I, I don't know. Uh, built by the Kurijo group to fight shadows. So, so yeah, she's an android created by the Kurijo group 10 years ago to fight shadows. <laughs> she she seems to have some knowledge about protagonists and states it's important to be by his side. Uh, after that, she decides to join the team uh, to do so and fulfills the classic humanoid robot learning to be more human archetype. She also has a persona named Athena, right? Yep, Athena. No, it's, uh, it's weirder. That would make way more sense. Her persona is like is named Palladian, which is the oh, thing. That's right. Yeah. And then okay, I'm sorry. Oops. <laughs> okay. She uses physical attacks and can also go into overdrive mode. I think or gear mode. That's what it was yeah, called. Yeah, but that's not a word, so it's not. <laughs> where she where she's super strong but overheats after a few turns. I pretty much did not touch this mode because it really only takes a few turns and then she's like completely like completely weakened. It's just yeah. I don't know. I just didn't see the yeah. payoff worth it. Yeah, you can like it has niche use cases where like if you know a certain like random encounter you can take down with if you go into the mode and do some stuff. Right, but yeah, true. It, it's not a major thing but i i didn't really i've never really used her much in combat because she doesn't have elemental attacks ah okay okay yeah i i was i was kind of weird i think my i think one of my main parties ended up being for some reason i guess ken and koromaru <laughs> <laughs> and it was mainly because like okay like i uh there was a certain enemy i know we we introduced the reaper right yeah. Yeah. Yes. So. so you can actually beat the Reaper at a kind of early level, like what in the fifties. So I actually did that, but I don't know why the um the AI works best with that party. Like if you try oh. to if you try to use like Akihiko on like the others, I don't know why, but their AI just does not want to cooperate with you at all. Like just doesn't work. Uh, you have to use that party. So I think I kind of ended up getting attached to them because of that. <laughs> My approach is always just to, to, to like run away from the Reaper or avoid. Oh, <laughs> avoid yeah. Oh, yeah. No, of course. I, I did it for a very specific reason, which I know we'll probably go into a bit later. But there was a very specific reason why I only did it because, yeah, normally Reaper is terrifying. Yeah. Oh, yes. There we are. Sorry. Lost my place. Uh, meanwhile, back in town, uh, Shinjiro, remember the angry guy Akihiko knows, uh, meets up with the Strega. Remember those weird people who shot that guy? Um, <laughs> so he appears to be drying, buying drugs of some kind from them. Drugs? Uh, don't worry, they're not you know, the usual kind of drugs, I think, as we can probably assume. They're something else that we'll find about later. But instead of money, they want to know more about what uh, the shadow fighting team sees is up to. Shijiro tells them about how they think that uh, if they beat all 12 shadows, the dark hour will stop happening, and the Strega people don't like this one bit. And uh, then things go normal, continue normally, rather, things go normal uh, for a couple <laughs> weeks, when one night Fuka senses that there's like a big shadow uh, out uh, 
inside Tartarus and it's near the shrine, but um, so we have to go fight it. But before the team arrives there, Koromaru, the nice dog who lives at the shrine, beats it, but he was injured, which is sad. So the team decides to nurse him back to health. Also, the dog has a persona. Um, and also, I guess, can speak dog language, uh, which is <laughs> really convenient. Um, a dog's going to join the team, if, if you didn't get that. Uh, so around this time, Ken, uh, remember the sad 12-year-old that we met earlier? He moves into the dorm. Uh, it's not really clear why. It's probably because he's like an orphan and they don't know where to put him. So he's going to move in with this super secret club of people who have personas. I uh, wonder if he has a persona. I don't know. Um, uh, we'll see. They're doing they're doing persona checks at the door. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, then we get to the full moon for August. Um, this is a pretty simple one. Uh, it's in an old military bunker. Uh, but when the uh, the gang arrives, they're confronted by two of the Straga people: uh, shirtless Jesus and his nerd friend, uh, Takaya and Jin. Um, the uh, Gothic Lolita girl is absent this time. Um, Strega explained that they are also Persona users and don't want the Dark Hour and the Shadows to go away because it makes them special, um, which is a really well thought out reason. We'll see that thinking things out really well is a hallmark of the Strega. Um, <laughs> so they then leave, locking the team in the bunker, assuming that this will solve their problem. Um, they decide to fight the Shadow and then worry about getting out. Shadow's a giant tank. Okay. Uh, and then they just call Itsuke to let them out of the bunker. It's not a problem at all. Like the game spends three seconds dealing with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. A deus ex. Well, I guess that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> An Itsuke ex machina. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, then we move on to August. So uh, they uh, make uh, Mr. Dog, which uh, we uh, finally know as uh, Koromaru a uh, special evoker uh, caller so that he can summon his persona and he officially joins a team. His uh, persona is Cerberus, of course, um, uh, also a dog, and he uses death magic. And uh, long-time listeners and uh, <laughs> <laughs> SMT players will know that there's a long and storied tradition with Cerberus in um, SMT games. Um that we don't need to go into, but uh, yeah, uh, listen to the first few, a couple episodes if you want to hear, hear more about that. Um, so yeah, Yunpei runs into Gothic Lolita girl who's uh, named Chidori, and he starts to develop a crush on her. He's unaware that she's uh, Parastrega, and over the next few weeks, he'll keep running into her and trying to talk to her, and uh, he learns that uh, she loves drawing. And he uh, expresses concern over a mysterious hand injury that she has. Um, and replaying this just made me realize like how much I really hope that uh, in future games they let us like kind of like develop out the social links of other characters. Like, That'd be great, yeah. Yeah, having like replayed the first time I pl played the game, I was like, "Oh, cool! Like maybe I can affect this," but. Hey, you can you can't really. It's you kind of can prescripted. Oh, you can't a little bit, but it's pretty much prescripted. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that would be like a really way, cool way to develop the. Uh, yeah, that effect. would be. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit outside the formula that's proved so successful, but it would be really know, nice if, but... if, if they did something like where you know you didn't just have the one main character and you had to deal with you know kind of managing multiple people's social lives. That would be really neat. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd really like to see something like that. You know, just kind of change it up a bit. Um, so yeah, Ken overhears a conversation between Akihiko and Shinjiro, in which we learn that Shinjiro left seas after causing someone's death. This is also where I kind of turned around on Shinjiro. Is like, at first I was like, oh man, this guy is just like a little too edgy and angsty for his own good or for my enjoyment of the game and his character. But once we kind of get his backstory, I warmed up to him. Uh, Ken seems to put something together in his head upon seeing this interaction, but it's a while before we start to put the pieces together. Um, in a total coincidence, about a week later, guess what? Ken has persona powers. <laughs> and, uh, basically, they ask him to join your... Uh, Basically, they ask him to join the uh, Shadow Fighting Squad. Yes. Uh, he actually volunteers. Like, that's it. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, I may have written that wrong, but yeah. He's like, hey, I have Persona powers. Let me join the team. I mean, I assume that's what people wanted to happen. Whoever moved him into the dorm. Yeah. We don't get a whole lot of that, but yeah. Presumably. Okay. So a little later into the month, school starts again. And for reasons, the android is going to go to school and pretend to be human. Just kidding. It's not for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is pretty silly. And like, I was just like, oh man, do all the characters have to be in this format? But, you know, at least I didn't make uh, Koromaru go to school. <laughs> That that would have been amazing. That would have been so good. Like, we have some new students here. This is I guess I am normal human girl and Koromoro. Woof woof. <laughs> I think they're from abroad. Exactly. <laughs> so um Akihiko tells Shinjiro that Ken has joined the team, which finally gets him to agree to join back up and move back into the dorm. This should feel important because Akihiko has been asking him to come back like every other week for the past months, and he hasn't even considered it. He fights with Axes and his persona's caster, the twin of Akihiko's persona, Polydeuces. Uh, he's strong and has no weaknesses or resistances. I have to admit, I had so much fun uh, with him. I, I had like Team Senpai, so I was like, Masuru, <laughs> Akihiko, and Shinjiro. It was like awesome. <laughs> So yeah, he's he is, he's I'm a lot younger. of, he is a lot of fun. Um, Junpei meets up with Chidori on her drawing bench again and talks about his feelings, tells her how much he loves being a hero boy, which is an understandable amount of honesty. Then he goes on to tell her about the shadows and how he and his, he and his friends fight them with their persona like a moron. He also claims <laughs> to be... <laughs> He also claims to be the leader of the team because, hey, who cares? Yeah, he's he's a, he's a, he's a cool. <laughs> this, this is his game right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I will impress the woman by telling her that I fight monsters with my personality magic, <laughs> and also that I'm the leader of the team that does that because that's not going to impress her. I need to be the leader. <laughs> I feel like in real life, like uh, uh, a girl like her should be like, uh, say you're a LARPer. Like, what oh, happened? yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I make up stories about myself, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. 
so then we uh is it my turn i lost track yep okay cool just making sure um all right so then we get to the full moon for this month uh this time the shadows at the mall hmm but um junpei's nowhere to be seen but no time to worry about that we've got to figure out where the uh big shadow is um there's a scene where fuga does some like persona magic to hone in on where it is and it turns out that it's not just at the mall it's under the mall and it's like tapped itself into these gigantic power cords that like are from when the island was built uh and it's going to use its evil powers to possess them and do something and they have to stop it before it does something it's really <laughs> not clear what these pig shadows are trying to do and like why they're hijacking trains and tapping into power cables but no time for that we've got to fight them um, so the team does, um, and they win. Um, but, um, where's Junpei? Ah, it turns out that Chidori, who, as we remember, is one of the Strega, believed his boastful lies about being the leader of the shadow fighting team and conked him on the head and now has him tied up in the middle of the street. Um, and she wants him to call off the team's hunt for the big shadows to preserve the dark hour, um, because he's the leader. And she's decided that the best place to hold him hostage would be right outside the dorm where they all live. And I don't understand her plan. It just, I'm going to tie you up until you agree to stop fighting the shadows and then let you go. Yeah. That's, that's not a plan. Um, and, but the, beyond that, uh, her not a plan doesn't even work because before the scene can even go in anywhere, the team comes back and finds them just standing there. Uh, with Junpei tied up. So she's about to like summon her persona, uh, but then Junpei slips out of his bonds and tackles her. Um, so she didn't even tie him up right. Uh, and then she says something about not being afraid to die and passes out. Uh, the team finds, I think this whole situation disturbing. So they decide to lock her up in a hospital owned by the Carrillo group until she talks. Okay, I guess we're just not going to talk about how they've imprisoned this woman uh, in a hospital against her will. Uh, yeah. Not even going to address that question. It just, it's normal. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> it is. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it. Like, you know, you are fighting these supernatural threats and, you know, okay. But, like, and someone's got to address it. <laughs> it. It just, like, you could have brought it up. Exactly. Was, you know, a, a, a thing like you can you can defend it <laughs> yeah the fact that no one even thinks that this is an issue exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is logical this is the next logical step good thing my family owns this hospital so we can imprison this girl it's <laughs> convenient <laughs> so yeah uh over the next few uh well we go into september and uh over the next few weeks, the gang uh, regular, regularly visits uh, Chidori in the hospital. Um, eventually, Maturu lets Yunpei uh, talk to her. She opens up a bit, saying that no one understands her pictures. We then learn that she's been cutting herself while at the hospital, uh, which Junpei, uh connects us back to her hand injury. And uh, he finds her self-harm upsetting and uh, kind of takes this like troubling well-intentioned uh, paternalistic attitude toward preventing it. Um, we also learned that uh, she heals super fast due to uh, persona magic and she could use that power to make dead flowers come back to life. Yeah, th that, that's going to come back into things later. Yeah. 
but it seems weird yeah and unnecessary like you know people cut yeah. themselves and they can heal fine like yeah they, it they seems, don't need powers yeah but also it seems at this point like it's kind of like minimizing it like it's just kind of like yeah it's uh, like this is not the way something. this is handled is not great it's not great i mean they're trying they're clearly trying but yeah they're not succeeding <laughs> exactly um so yeah a few days later uh Jubei is visiting her again when uh suddenly her persona medea appears and uh starts strangling her uh shinjiro's there and uh gives her a pill which uh, causes it to demanifest uh he explains that he explains that under unlike the uh, seas team striga members cannot control their personas and they have to take trust sorry um he explains that unlike the Seas team, Strega members cannot control their personas and need to take suppressants to keep them under control. Uh, when asked uh, why he knows this, he says he just picked it up on the street. Akiko doesn't believe the obvious lie, so he confronts Shinjiro inside. He demands to know why Shinjiro had these suppressant pills, as they apparently have dangerous side effects. Shinjiro refuses to talk to him, so Akihiko expresses his feelings like a man and punches his friend because he's worried about him. <laughs> That surprisingly doesn't work either. So uh, Akihiko makes the ultimate sacrifice, and he talks about his feelings. <laughs> <laughs> so hard for these guys. Um, he explains that he's obsessed with uh, being strong because he was not strong enough to save his sister in the orphan orphanage fire ten years prior. You can uh, basically re read between the lines here, and uh, what he's really trying to say is that he wants to be strong enough to sa save uh, Shinjiro. And uh, Sajiro's just basically like, whatever, I'm not, a, I, I don't need to be saved. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, now we move on to our. Uh, take just a short break for a second. Oh, yeah, sure. I yeah. need to go grab some water. Of Where course. No problem. All right, I'm back. You guys are? Yep. All right. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, so basically, now we move on into October 4th, uh, full moon. The, the next shadow is at the train station, so the gang heads out, minus Shinjiro, who says he'll catch up later. Ken's also missing, but they just kind of go whatever and keep walking. <laughs> so uh, there are two shadows this time, Fortune and Strength. Uh, and this, uh, this theme is there's a Wheel of Fortune gimmick to the fight. Uh, where the And this is kind of common in other uh, Persona games as well, whenever you have a Fortune or kind of fight. Uh, where the Fortune shadow spins a wheel and you choose when to stop it. The space where it lands uh, makes either a good or bad thing happen to you or the enemy. You have a decent amount of control over when to stop the thing. So normally it'll work out in your favor at least. Um, so then after that, Akihiko realizes, uh, that it's October 4th, uh, and the significance of that date. And therefore that this has possible and really bad implications as to where Ken and Shinjiro are. So he runs off. Let's see. So you want to keep reading or it's up to you? Oh yeah. Keep going. Okay. So, meanwhile, in an alley somewhere, Ken has arranged a meeting with Shinjiro. He explains that it's the anniversary of his mom's death and that Shinjiro is responsible for said death. 
He talks about how it ruined his life and how he wanted to kill himself for a while, but that today he's going to kill Shinjiro in revenge. And Shinjiro seems to be okay with this. Uh, so back at the headquarters, Mitsuru puts the pieces together and explains to the rest of the team what happened. Two years ago, when the team was just Akihiko, Shinjiro, and Mitsuru, they were tracking a strange shadow, and Shinjiro lost control of his persona, accidentally killing Ken's mom. Uh, Fuka manages, after the story, Fuka tracks down uh, the two, Shinjiro and Ken, uh, but he, she also sees that a Strega member is nearby as well. So... Then, uh, back in the alley, Shindro explains that Ken's mom's death made him leave the group. And he, ever since then, he's been trying to suppress his uh, persona with those drugs that he's been purchasing from Strega. And it really messed him up. Uh, he warns Ken that killing people really screws up with one's head. And it's maybe not the best thing to do, but Ken's not buying it and readies his spear. Then suddenly the shirtless Jesus Traeger, <laughs> Takuya, shows up and tells Ken that he should kill Shinjiro because revenge is great. <laughs> <laughs> he he revenge. Also- <laughs> I just don't get why he decides to pop in here. It's like he's gonna kill like <laughs> I know. It's just like, let me interrupt your revenge to tell you why your revenge is such a great idea. Exactly. (laughs) He also reveals that the suppressant that Shindrels has been taking all this time is going to kill him soon. So he'll die soon anyway. Uh, Ken gets upset because this essentially robs him of his choice to kill Shindrel. Uh, which, if you really think about it, it does bring up some interesting questions about the nature of revenge. Um, I think this whole thing does because it's so dark, especially considering that you have a high schooler with a little boy, and it's yeah. just yeah, it's, oof, it's heavy. Yeah, I'm, I'm just impressed with Ken's maturity when he's like, "Wait a minute, if my revenge—if he would have died anyway, then what does my revenge mean?" Like that's it's a very intellectual perspective to take. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know, revenge is a much more like, ah, I want this guy dead because he hurt me. It's like, yes, but does that mean anything if he's going to die anyway? My, if he's going to die anyway, then my action has no meaning and I'm not making a choice. Therefore, it's nothing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've thought about this a lot, buddy. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so, um, then uh, Takaya's all like, whatever, not like it matters since you were going to kill yourself after you killed him. But since you're both just whining about it, I'll shoot you. So he shoots Shinjiro, wounding him. Uh, he then tries to ask who in the group has the radar persona, uh, most likely because he wants to kill that person and prevent C's from finding the large shadows. Uh, I think this is another perfect plan from Strager, by the way. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> blameless. <laughs> they've, they've been on a roll, so I think this would have worked out, too. There's no way they have two people who have personas that could find the big shadows. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ken decides to lie and say he's the radar to protect the team, and also because he wants to die. So, then we get an animated cutscene where uh, Takaya shoots at Ken, but Shinji jumps in front of the bullet, 
just as the gang arrives. Takaya bolts, and Shinji tells Ken to turn his anger into strength and not to kill himself. He then takes a, a few steps and collapses on the ground dead. So. <laughs> yeah. Yep, you're dead now. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Whatever. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's very shocking that this man who just joined your party died. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally did not expect that. Yeah, totally. I, I, I honestly didn't expect it. Yeah, no, I mean, it was well done. It's just, the, it's just so you're too cynical. You're kind of like, <laughs> they're going to do something to him, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, the, the whole scene was really like, really messed up just extremely heavy you just felt really awful because this little kid was like just really thinking about murdering someone for revenge and then killing himself like it's just yeah oh. i'm i'm a little unclear on why this needed to be during this full moon on the anniversary of but it just seemed i don't know i guess this is when you do something like that but yeah i don't know it's like yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's like it's kind of like I don't know. It's it's sort of like a conflict between three characters. I didn't really like that very, that much, but you know, Ken definitely comes off the best in all of it. Um, True, and I mean, I think that it ain't earns some of the pathos just because like of Ken's like involvement and the fact that he's a little kid, but it also feels like a little unearned. Yeah, it's like they, they they've been setting this up, but like they should have set it up more. I think. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, I think actually, to be honest, um, I really like how the movie set it up. Yeah, that was better. Yeah, like I think I think I really liked it because that Ken didn't really even remember, so he was like he was slowly kind of uh you know, fitting the pieces together. And it was just this great buildup because in the, the Persona 3 movies, he was actually bonding with Shinjiro. And, and then he find and then he realizes that Shinjiro was the one who accidentally killed his mom. And it just, it just really creates like a lot more emotional weight to, I mm-hmm. think the whole thing. And it's just, yeah, it was a fan. I think, so the movie, I think I really liked how they just built that up a lot better. Yeah, the movie, I mean, they needed to make some changes for that to work because the 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 game really like does it with a very soft touch. Like you could like you don't you you just don't like you don't have enough information to put the pieces together if you're just playing the game to see exactly. what's happening. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I think they could have given us a little bit more. Like but it you know, they could have also given us way too much, like uh, in Persona Five, how you're like, "Oh, who is that? You know, that powerful man that uh, you know got uh, our protagonist thrown in jail. Who could it be? Who could it be?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's just this evil man who is clearly the same person, just walking around throughout the whole the whole game. Oh my god! And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who yeah, could I'm it be, <laughs> Mister Evil Politician? Who do you think it was? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, no, it's it's a hard yeah i mean it's like i mean i feel like it's a matter of like like it's a matter of when you say something's kind of unearned it's like it doesn't need to be you know delivered in 
you know, tons and tons of text and they obviously did some setup, but, you know, like a nice scene like you had with Yukari and the protagonist prior would have gone, gone a long way for like setting this sort of, sort of thing up. Yeah. I think if they had just spent a little more, like if you had had like a social link with Ken in the, I, I know he's a social link in the female route of uh, portable, but like if you had like unlocked one and so you could have done like the first, you know, three or four entries with him yeah. and had him like, you know, talk about how he felt about his mom's death two years ago. And then you could have put that together with Shinjiro, you know, having killed someone two years ago and you could have spaced those. Well, I feel like that would have gotten most of the way there. Oh, that's yeah. true actually. Yeah. And if, and if you really wanted to do it too, to make sure it wasn't something that like, uh, the character, the, the the player misses. You could have even had it maybe as kind of an automatic social link, like you know, like yeah. maybe activate when you first meet him, when like Yukari and Jupei were talking to him. So it's like you know, the main character decides to get to know this little kid as well, and then yeah, you know, been, yeah, I think that would have fit nicely with Ken's character particularly. Yeah, because he he like he is pretty underdeveloped in the game. Yeah, yeah, and I really liked him, honestly. I felt like he had a lot of interesting potential, so I, I really wish we had seen, like, a lot more of him, like, especially, like you guys said, with the whole build-up prior to this major event. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and then, and then like, of course, anything post as well, you know, could have done some... That, I mean, the social link would have really come in handy as well for that, too, along with, like, the screen time that he got in the the main plot. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You're totally right. Like something to like make it feel like it, you know, sort of like stuck or like had like a lasting effect. Um, would have would have gone a long way. Yeah. Yep. But it definitely does feel like, yeah, it's a big it's a big place to sort of like end things, <laughs> uh, at least for this episode. But at the same time. There are so many other like things that we've got to see, like how they're going to work out. Yep, exactly. Yep, the game definitely takes a pretty big turn. I think in the storytelling after this point. Yeah, it definitely ramps up. Yeah, and... it ramps up and changes gears into uh, something quite interesting. I I think so too. I mean, this is kind of like what my you know. I don't have a better way of saying this, but my takeaway <laughs> as uh, from replaying this game is just like this game is so so damn cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really cool game. Yeah, um, and there are definitely like things to like gripe about and things that were refined in later entries in the series. But oh man, it's just sort of they they nailed so much like as far as like the setting and the way the mechanics kind of mirror the you know it, it's just such, such such kind of like a watershed especially when you compare it to the first couple of games which you know we haven't we haven't done persona 2 yet um either entry and you know a lot of people really love those first two games and they're good but yeah it just feels like such a like huge I mean- Huge transformation. Yeah. It's a very different thing. I mean, I love Persona 2 and how crazy it is. That is, like, Persona 3 is very ambitious. Persona 2 was also ambitious, but it was trying a lot of things that maybe weren't the best idea. 
<laughs> well, it's the only SMT game, as far as I know of, that has Hitler in it. So, <laughs> yeah, I, it's wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, Persona Three really made a lot of changes and really nailed the surprising amount of them just out the gate. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, maybe this is like more, you know of a conversation for the final episode, but like, I, I, I see sometimes like, you know, it's, it's really easy to kind of like add up the different things and be like, Oh, well, you know, they pulled this from like SMT and they pulled things from like JRPGs in general. And then they pulled things from visual novels and then voila, you've got persona three and the formula that they've followed ever since. But like, you know, really kind of like going back to, this game and putting it in the context of its time. I mean, it's, it's, it's not surprising that this game series has like become so influential, you know, and it's like, if you're not going to follow sort of the final fantasy or dragon quest mold, and you're making a JRPG nowadays, you're going to follow the persona mold. Like it really is like something like, you know, is more than the sum of its parts and is kind of revolutionary as far as like, genre-wise yeah i mean just uh, something i found in doing the notes for this game and also looking back at the notes in persona 5 is the way the story is told is so radically different from a normal story because of the way it's spaced out over you know not i don't know what you'd call it not like real time but like every day happens it doesn't jump it does there are no time jumps Mm -hmm. and what that means for how the story is told and spaced out is really weird and interesting. Yeah, and it does not like translate. I mean, it doesn't like translate itself incredibly great to like the format where you know we'll like do an episode where we talk about mechanics and then kind of like just focus on the plot. But you know, and I'm saying this without having really watched the uh, the uh, anime, but like I don't think that it really translates itself to other media particularly well yeah i when i was doing these episodes i watched um the anime movies just to see how they handled the plot because i was having trouble summarizing and like i mean they, they, they're what you would ex- like it's a very faithful interpretation like right. what if we took all the plot scenes from the game and then you know dusted them off and made them into a movie it's it's very faithful um they do make some changes to help with the storytelling um but I also think the story loses a lot of what makes it really interesting in game form. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a ton of like character work and you know, it's like, that's kind of like a lot of the game of it. And yeah, you have dungeons and you got fighting, but you know, like developing those social links. Yeah. You just, you it, lose that, that day-to-day texture of just hanging out with these people and having them around and feeling like you are building a relationship with them, which um, just very weird and interesting. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah true yeah i mean like you know like like many people i've been playing a ton of uh animal crossing uh the last few weeks and like i mean that's a game where like the texture is the entire thing you know so that is not a that's not a small thing yeah i think not. i think it's 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 easy to kind of gloss over that um but it's it's really important yeah, and I think um, without that, video game stories and you know Persona Three story s- tends to sound a lot more overblown than it feels when you're playing it. 
Yeah. Because yeah, you, you really. You, oh, you know, I'm just saying you have to focus on like, you know, these big kind of climactic moments and not really acknowledging the things that lead up, the very small things that lead up to them um, makes it seem, you know, very kind of schlocky and. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, in a I way feel that like. It just doesn't feel. Yeah. When you're playing it. Like, I feel like the movies are kind of best enjoyed by people who already have played the games and are more familiar with the plot beats and everything. So it's kind of like you're going in already knowing what happens, like, in between these major events. So you kind of, you want, you kind of want to just see, like, oh, I wonder how they'll animate these big scenes or how they interpret or portray how this like big turn of events happened. I mean, that's at least how I was enjoying the movies as I was watching it. Cause I, I really can't, I mean, I, I shouldn't say I can't imagine, but I don't think it'd be a great idea for a newcomer to start with the movies. Like I feel like it's the same kind of disservice as the Danganronpa anime does for the games. Like you're missing right. like, you know, dozens of hours upon hours of character development and like all this groundwork that's laid out. So you actually appreciate the story and the characters and all that more. And the same thing with, and this is the same thing with persona three as you two are pointing out. And then if you don't, if you're not familiar with that, you just come in and watch the movie. Like you said, it feels more overblown and you don't have that more like subtlety, that human element attached to it. I think. Yeah, I actually watched the the first two of the the Persona three movies with my wife, who is not into video games or anime or anything like that, mm-hmm. and she did not care at all. She 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 actually really liked it visually. She yeah, it really cool. Right. Which they do. They they're they're very nice looking movies. Um, but man, she did not care about the plot at all, and I do not blame her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like okay, yeah, they're fighting shadows. What's a shadow? Okay. I'm not supposed to worry about that. Okay. All right. <laughs> happening. Revenge. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, you know, if like I was trying to find like one sort of parallel, like in another form of media, and this is going to sound like a put down, but I don't mean it that way. Like, I mean, I, like I was trying to think like, earlier like how would you translate this to like a tv show or something like that and like like i feel like a soap opera would be probably the best form (laughs) and i know that sounds like really shitty but like you would need like i don't know 50 episodes a year or something like that. exactly yeah (laughs) to really sort of like get in all that character development and like yeah sometimes it whiffs it Sometimes it's not great. Um, sometimes it's kind of tro- tropey and cheesy, but at the same time, like you really start to care about these characters. Exactly. Yeah. And there's enough that goes on that kind of like subverts that, that it's really interesting to talk about and replay. Yeah, true. Yeah. And I mean, we haven't even touched on like um, the mythological stuff in this game, which, you know, I, I haven't brought it up on purpose because you can't talk about it before the end of the game. That would just doesn't make sense. Cause that's when that stuff actually comes into it. Um, yeah. But like this, I don't know. I feel like this game handles its mythological influences much 
more interestingly and much more complexly than you get in a lot of SMT games. Um, yeah. And yeah, expect, definitely... expect, me, expect me to talk more about that uh, next time because I, I have a file with notes on there. And <laughs> that, I'm just... excited about that. I kept on like wanting to bring it up, but like... But yeah, yeah. I, I just want to you know let our audience know that I, I am paying attention to it. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but you, you can't talk about that stuff before like the stuff at the end is revealed because it, it, it all plays into that. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, should we wrap it up for this episode? Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think we've said the things that need to be said. Cool. Um... Well, do you have do y'all have anything you want to uh, plug or send people to? Um, well, for me, uh, last week I actually uh, guest starred on uh, another podcast called SMT Network. So, oh, cool. yes, yeah, so this one's a it's a more casual, it's a fun sort of podcast where you know, basically sat down with the host, and we uh, in this case we discuss which is you know very very. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. So, um, sat down and um, discussed uh, Persona Five Royal, uh, which was a lot of fun, honestly. Um, so you know, we really, really went in depth. I think we, I think we really talked for like, like what three hours. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> It was it was a lot of fun, honestly. I um I had a blast. We really went into uh we went into super super in depth about the game and like you know a lot of the uh like new content and how we felt about like third semester, you know things like that. So you know it was it's a lot of fun. I had a, fu- a lot of fun recording. I'm sure you know if you really enjoyed uh Persona Five Royale or you just want to hear some more opinions on it. You know, definitely you can give uh, that a uh, listen to. And, you know, we'll have that linked, of course, uh, you know, along with the other links. So you can check that out. And I would also say, too, if you want, you know, definitely check out SMT Network. Uh, all the other podcasts are a lot of fun, too. They cover, they basically cover, I mean, my mostly focus on Shin Megami Tensei, but then sometimes they'll also focus on other JRPGs, so... You know, another good podcast, whether you like uh, Mega Ten franchise or if you just happen to like JRPGs in general. Cool. That's awesome. Thanks. And also, Elisa uh, writes for Dual Shockers. Yep. Yeah. So there's a really great review um, that Elisa did on uh, Persona 5 Royal. And uh, we'll link to that as well. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yep. <laughs> that was a lot of fun, too. Uh, Alex, you got anything? Uh, I don't know. Follow me on Twitter, uh, Tarmagantic, Tarmagantic, like the bird, the Tarmagen, spelled with a P, <laughs> but like gigantic. Look in the show notes; <laughs> it'll be spelled there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would, I would just add that um, uh, I have another podcast. Uh, Lisa and I uh, do uh, news episodes called Combo Chain, which is all about JRPG. And we also did an episode uh, where Lisa went into some depth on Persona 5 Royal, but not nearly as much as uh, three hours worth. Um, (laughs) But yeah, yeah, we kind of like straight off. Lisa and I do like news episodes. And then uh, 
me and other guest hosts do uh, kind of like deep dives on um, different non-SMT uh, JRPGs. Got a uh, Dragon Quest V uh, episode coming up. Uh, recently, uh, we also did uh, Mega... De- <laughs> God, I can never remember <laughs> Goddamn name. Uh, Mega Dimension Neptunia 7 with uh, our friend of the show, Fletch. Uh, where uh, Fletch uh, basically uh, sold me on the Hyper Dimension Neptunia series, which was initially a tough sell. <laughs> so, yeah, check out Combo Chain uh, if you enjoy this show. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, all the usual stuff. You've heard it probably from every podcast you listen to, but rate and review us on iTunes, anywhere else that you can rate and review. And um, we also have a Patreon to cover the costs. Uh, it's uh, Mirror Image Studios, uh, and I'll link to that in the show notes. And that just helps, like, with hosting costs and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, anything you guys want to add? No, I'm good. I'm good, thanks. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, and we will be back with the rest of Persona 3 uh, sooner rather than later. All right, thank you for listening. All right, take care, guys. Bye-bye.